Michelle, I am loving your new glasses. Well, gee, thanks. You're actually the one that inspired me to take care of my old ass eyes. Uh, yeah, girl, I had to get those floaters checked out, and I was in desperate need of new contacts. So I decided to make an appointment with a local eye doctor in lieu of one of those big box experiences. Oh, you aren't getting your eyes checked at the same spot you picked up your flat screen and lobster anymore? Oh, no, I hate lobster. But exactly, I wanted to have a relationship with the person who actually checks my eyeballs, and that is why I started going to West End Vision in LaGrange. You and me both, honey. And you know what else? What? There's something real cozy about going to a local eye doctor who also happens to be a woman. You can say that again. (laughs) Dr. Carrie John has 22 years of experience and her staff are experts when it comes to helping you find the perfect frame for your face. Mm Mm-hmm. And West End Vision feels like an eyewear boutique too, which is awesome. So your shopping experience, it's a little bit different and the frame selection is wide and unique. There is literally a frame for everyone. Agreed. And now I see through rose-tinted lenses thanks to West End Vision. Yeah, I wasn't sure about Mm. those funky rose-tinted lenses at first, but Mike Mirror and his frame-styling expertise wouldn't steer you wrong. I'm obsessed with them. Now, if you are overdue for an eye exam or are in need of a a frame refresh, head to westendvision.com or call or text 708-482-3200 and schedule your next eye appointment. And be sure to mention the Sister Project for 15% off of a pair of non-prescription sunglasses. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michelle. And we're so excited you stopped by for a visit. Come on in. Yeah, make yourself at home. We're two Midwestern sisters who love a good old-fashioned conversation and enjoy sharing our life experiences with one another and you. Consider this your one-stop shop for cozy, mindful well-being, along with some entertainment and lots of wheezy laughing. Oh, you bet there'll be a lot of that going around. (laughs) Our goal is to live our coziest life and inspire you to do the same because the truth is, we think it's good for your mind and your body. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, let's get cozy. Welcome, welcome to Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project. My name is Lauren. I'm your host, and I'm being joined here by, by the my... same person you're always joined here with me, Michelle. Guys, <laughs> hi, how you doing? Thanks for the intro. You're welcome. <laughs> so today we have a very, very special guest. Um, this has been in the works for a long time. I reached out to Allie many, many moons ago, asking, sharing my story of infertility with her, and then we wanted her to come on our podcast because we just really like her. Mm, she's super cool. So Allie Prado is the host of the wildly popular podcast infertile af and if you or anyone you know is going through the journey of infertility or trying to get pregnant check you want to meet her you want to listen you want to listen to her yeah. podcast um she shares a very large variety of different people's stories trying to um, conceive whether it is um, pregnancy after loss, um, miscarriage, secondary pregnancy, secondary infertility, mm-hmm. yeah, um, IVF, all of those things she's covering and sharing stories. And she's really putting a spotlight on infertility, um, something that needs a spotlight. So we are sitting and chit-chatting with her. She's on the East Coast. We were here in Chicago. She hails from the Midwest. Her hometown is Chicago. Chicago, and it was really lovely to talk to a fellow Chicagoan um, about her podcast, her mission, and also something you should know is that she has an incredibly accomplished writing career. Spoiler alert, Hugh Hefner used to call her house and leave her voicemail. Yeah, that was her boss. (laughs) So we'll leave the rest of our stories for Allie to take care of and to share with you. So you guys, be sure to follow at InfertileAF on on Instagram. And all of the notes that we spoke about in the podcast will be in the show notes. So if you need any resources, they will be there. Okay, you guys, enjoy the conversation. Well, Allie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I love talking to you guys. It's a pleasure. I'm pumped too. Me Uh, too. I was thinking on my ride in when I first heard about you was when I was struggling to get pregnant. Michelle's like, you need to listen to infertile AF. (laughs) Oh, thanks. And I'm glad that you have, um, you, that you created that platform and podcast because women and families and all different humans like myself and even Michelle. Yep. You went through that bump as well. I did a long, a long, miserable bump. It's yeah. a long, miserable. Yeah, it's no speed There's bump. nothing fun about it. It's, no. a, it's like a massive highway construction. It's not even like a speed bump. Um, of exactly. So yes. what I wanted, what we wanted to talk to you about, we wanted to break some things down and start with 
with Infer- Infertile AF, your podcast. Okay. And then we want to go back in time a little bit and talk about your, not even back in time, but talk about your writing career. Cause you're still a writer, of course, always will be. Yes. Um, oh, thank you. I love that. I know I saw the questions and I was like, okay, that's fun. Okay, cool. Awesome. awesome. Okay. So let's kick, kick things off with your extremely successful podcast, Infertile mm. AF. Um, can you, you tell us how you kicked that off yourself and what inspired yeah. you? I have a feeling, but uh, for sure, tell us a story. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I have a journalism background, which we can talk about later when we talk more about the writing stuff, but I went through a secondary infertility journey for lack of a better word. We're trying, I'm always trying to think of a different word than journey, but I can't think of a good one. So if you guys journey, have one, journey is a good let one. me know. What do you mean by secondary? Because you got pregnant so, naturally the first time. Yes. So okay. secondary infertility is when you have a child naturally without any assisted reproductive technology, um, also known as ART, which includes IVF or IUIs or, you know, sciencey stuff that helps you get mm-hmm. pregnant. And, um, yeah, you, you have a child naturally, and then you find yourself in the throes of infertility. That's called secondary infertility. So when you already have a child and then you're deemed infertile, so it's really, it's a complicated, it's kind of a niche part of infertility. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we always say it's not the pain Olympics, so it's not like better or worse than, you know, quote unquote, regular infertility or fertility from the jump or infertility from the jump. But you know, it's, it's got its own set of unique struggles and it's, you know, just as hard. And, you know, I had my daughter, I'll just give you kind of the quick story. I had my daughter when I I got pregnant when I was 34 and I had her when I was 35 and I did not know, I don't know what you guys knew about your like fertility or your own body. I knew jack shit. Can we swear on here? Yes. Oh, oh okay. Good. <laughs> I listen to one of Bethany Frankel's podcasts and I'm going to start saying fuck more. Good. Sorry, Jan. It's my she, favorite. She's so much, Bethany. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Okay. But we were on the so, same, we were in the same boat as you. We knew nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew nothing. So I had my daughter. I was very lucky, you know, to get pregnant without any assisted reproductive technology. I didn't even know what ART was at the time, of course, because you don't know what you don't know unless right. you're in it. Right. Um, I had her at 35. And then we, my husband and I were kind of new to New York at that point. We had moved her from Chicago, um, my hometown. And we we're like, well, we're not going to have another baby right away. We don't even know how to like ride the subway yet. (laughs) So we waited for a while. Um, and then when she was about two and a half, we started to try again. And that's when I found myself in this infertility world because I couldn't, I, I didn't have any problems getting pregnant, but I could not stay pregnant. So what I learned later was this was called recurrent pregnancy loss. I had four miscarriages. Oh boy. Um, and they were all like fairly early, but again, like when it comes to miscarriage, it doesn't matter in my opinion, mm-hmm. if it's very early or at what point a it's loss. all painful. It's all a loss. A loss is a loss is a loss is what we always say. So I, um, finally was like, okay, one miscarriage, you know, that's pretty common. A lot of my friends had had one, so I didn't think that much of it, but then the second, the third, and then the fourth, I was like, what the fuck mm-hmm. I need to get some medical intervention here. So a friend had recommended an RE, which is a reproductive endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. Again, I had no idea what that was. And she had gone through IVF. Um, and honestly at the time, nobody was talking about IVF or IUIs or any of this stuff. So I was like, okay, I took the one recommendation. I went and saw this doctor who ended up being wonderful. I got very, very lucky. His name is Dr. Joshua Klein. He now works at extend fertility and I love him. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was great. And he, you know, I went in for a consultation he said, basically my problem was age, you know, you're born with Uh, all the eggs you'll ever have in your life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he said he did a quick scan and he's like, you've got a lot of like a big ovarian reserve, which means you have a lot of eggs, but the problem is you, you know, there, a lot of them are unhealthy because you're over 35 now. So he said, you're a perfect candidate for IVF. Um, I'm paraphrasing of course, cause this is a while ago and I don't remember all the details, but <laughs> he basically was like, you know, if we do IVF, that means we can find the healthy eggs and we can find, you know, make sure your husband's sperm is okay. We can make healthy embryos and then we can transfer an embryo and you can hopefully have a baby. So I was like, okay. So, um, we, you <laughs> okay, know, I mean, easy. how much more that's what I goes thought, into that's this. What I thought too, I was like, all right, we're going to do this. Boom. Totally. Wow. 
And if you want to hear all the details of the story, the very first episode of my podcast, which is I'm getting to the answer to your question, um, tell details, the whole story. And then the hundredth episode of my podcast is Vince, my husband's version of the story, his <laughs> experience. So it's pretty interesting because we had two very different experiences, even though we were going through the same thing. Um, anyway, long story short, we, I did IVF. I got super duper duper lucky. I had one healthy embryo. I had five that I sent away for PGT testing, which is pre-implantation genetic testing to make sure that, you know, they're chromosomally normal. Mm -hmm. I had one that was, I did a transfer in April, 2015 and it worked and I got pregnant and I had my son, Sonny, who's now six and a half. So that was my infertility journey in a nutshell. Um, so since also then like I trail tr- trudging in the never ending story, that's, I mean, yeah, the experience is just, just a drag, it is but yeah, I mean, there's so much more that goes into it. And again, you can hear it all. Like if you want to, or I can talk more about it later, but you know, my marriage was kind of in shambles, my like self-esteem, like I felt so like insecure and broken. And, you know, there's a lot of total anxiety therapy helped a tremendous amount Um, but anyway, so I started to, not until my son was about two, I was like, okay, I need to write about this shit because Mm -hmm. when I went to look for books, when I was going through it, there was nothing. I remember going to Barnes and Noble and I looked in like the miscarriage section and it was like an inch wide. And I was like, where are all these books? Why is no one talking about this? What Mm -hmm. do I do? And, you know, as like a journalist, I like to research and like, I was Googling stuff, but I was like falling down these weird rabbit holes. There was no like good groups that I could find. Everything seemed like kind of like hyper-religious at the time or just like not my people. So I was just like, wow. Um, so I decided to write a book. I started to write a book. I wrote a book proposal about kind of my journey and it was called IVF AF. Um, and I shopped it around and a lot of publishers, you know, took meetings with me and stuff, but I couldn't get it sold because they were like this, you know, the writing's good, but no one's going to buy this. Nobody buys these books. These books don't sell. And this is a business. And if it's not going to sell, sorry, we can't support you. So that was really, you know, discouraging. And it it actually has not changed that much when it comes to big publishers. Now it's still kind of the same, but a lot of people have self-published books, which is wonderful, but that wasn't what I wanted to do at the time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, have I a promise question. I'm answering your question. No, but okay. <laughs> if I have a question. When you say it hasn't changed, are you saying that there's not a lot of books out there on IVF is what hasn't changed? There's more, but from what I've heard from people who, who are friends of mine who work in the publishing industry, those books sell very little. Okay. Um, you know, compared to like main, main quote unquote mainstream books. Okay. So I've seen some statistics and it's still like, you'd be floored at like, I don't want to say the exact number because I don't want to offend anybody that has a mm-hmm. book out there, but it's really, really low. Okay. Um, which is, it was wild when I saw the stats. Be this honest, one there's so many people going through this. Right. Um, so anyway, I was like, okay, fuck that. I'm not going to write a book at this point at least. And then someone said, why don't you start a podcast? You love to interview people. You know, you, you're, um, you love podcasts and there really weren't any fertility podcasts that I knew of at the time. There were, there actually were some, but there, there weren't a lot. Um, so that's how infertile F was born. It was 2019. You know, I had the idea and I figured if I was going to like expect people to get really raw and real with me, I had to be the first one to do it. So like I said, the first episode is me telling my story. And now, you know, every episode is somebody who has gone through some sort of family building journey. It's not always like quote unquote infertility, but it's somebody that's used assisted reproductive technology. So it could be a single mom by choice or single parent by choice. It could be same sex couple. You know, I, I, my whole thing is that I just want to tell diverse stories Mm -hmm. and talk to the largest swath of people that I can, because I just want people out there to know that they're not alone. So I'm basically creating this platform that I wish I had when I was going through it. So Three years, three plus years into it, the 187th episode came wow. out this week. Congratulations. And thank you. So yeah, it's it's been what it's been amazing. I've met the most incredible people. You know, some of the stories would blow your mind. Some of them are tremendously sad. Some of them are mm-hmm. funny. You know, like it just it's it runs the gamut. It's just it's human, it's real life. And it's thankfully, you know, it's it's the thing that I'm most proud of that that I've been doing. So 
You're, that is your answer. <laughs> I thank you for telling us the answer because when you look at it, it could be like, oh, this person has dabbled in some IVF or some infertility, but your struggle. And I, when I wrote you months ago about mm-hmm. your, what I forget what you put. Oh my God. I wish I can remember exactly what you said. It was, it was a meme you posted mm-hmm. about infertility. I know what it was. It doesn't matter what you're going through everyone. It's that your story matters. Oh yeah. It was something about how, like, no matter if you had one IVF round or if you've had Mm -hmm. seven miscarriages or whatever the story is, it's still a story and it still matters. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me because I've heard a lot of people, other, other people's stories and my struggle seems nothing compared to other people's. I've heard that from people, you know, writing and emailing and saying, you know, I, 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 my story is not as interesting as other people's, or I haven't gone through as much. So I don't know if you want to share it. And my, my comment is always fuck that your story matters. Like I, of course I want to tell your story because if it happened to you, there's somebody else out there that can relate to that. So again, you know, it's not the pain Olympics. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this world. Um, you know, I just think it's so important to represent as many people and tell as many stories as you can. So it's been really fun for, I guess, lack of a better word for me to like, you know, I have people coming to me, but I'm also reaching out to people and, you know, I'll I'll read a little news clip or I'll Mm -hmm. hear about something and somebody wrote this article or what it's just been really cool to kind of, you know, collect the, the most diverse, you know, swath of stories that I can. Michelle and I have friends who their podcast is called remember me podcast, and they focus on family members and as well as individuals who are going through, who had, or suffer from dementia and whatnot. And I love it's, that. It's amazing. It's, it's a very heavy podcast. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. It could be heavy, but like, but it could be fun. There could be some laughs, but I'm I'm sharing this because sometimes I think about it and that I use the word heavy because that can be heavy. And I'm thinking that Mm -hmm. when you're speaking with families and individuals that it can get pretty heavy and I'm wondering how you in a way, self-care for yourself when you're listening to some of these heavier stories, do you go Mm -hmm. take a walk afterwards, have a glass (laughs) of wine? Like what is the pattern? (laughs) A bottle of wine. Um, (laughs) I definitely find myself crying a lot on the show as anybody who listens to it will know. Um, you know, there's, I feel, I think part of going through infertility and you guys can attest to this as well. It's made me more of an empath. Like Mm. I think I've always been an empathetic person, but this has really highlighted that quality. Um, not saying that that's, I'm so great, but it's just like, it makes me feel so much and like feel for people, Mm -hmm. um, just having been there and knowing how much it hurts. Um, so this woman was telling me the story of how she had to have surgery to remove fibroids, but the doctors messed up and they amputated her cervix. So she was no longer able to carry a pregnancy. They, they weren't able to repair it and adding insult to injury the, her same story, her sister-in-law decided to be her surrogate. And there was another, you know, um, accident tragedy at the hospital when her sister was giving birth and her sister is now paralyzed from an epidural that was administered wrong. So her sister who did give birth to Ajima's daughter, cause it was her surrogate is now paralyzed. So like that story was just, I mean, I was like bawling. Like it was like, I can't even it's so, and she's so strong and she really wanted to share this story because they're still kind of in the thick of it. You know, they haven't figured out lawsuits and what's going to happen. And her sister-in-law is still struggling. So she wanted, she really wanted to share that story. And, you know, people like that, that reach out to me, I'm just like, thank you. Thank you for feeling so comfortable that you can. And like strong enough that, you know, everybody on my show, I find really just wants to help other people. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty cool. And that's what I love about your podcast is that you put out these stories and it doesn't matter. Like the woman you just shared, her story is exceptionally extreme and devastating. Mm -hmm. And then it goes from the spectrum everywhere in between where, you know, people can relate to these things. And the thing about infertility And even like you said, like scientifically, um, or when they, when there's medical intervention, it is interesting how people who are so lucky that get pregnant naturally don't understand or don't know anything about the science behind IVF. And they are very, I've sat with several people, several women, in fact, who are very curious about it. And they want to know the exact steps of how do, Mm -hmm. how did you get Luna? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a scientific miracle. (laughs) Totally. 
I agree. And I didn't know anything about it either. And I've said this a million times before. I thought IVF was for people that wanted multiples. I thought it was like octagon mom, like people that wanted like, you know, more than one baby that just did this as a choice. I didn't know it was a medical that, you know, most of the time I, I won't give a percentage, but probably 95 or more percent of the time people don't choose to do IVF. They have to, they don't right. have a choice. Um, and also it's not a guarantee that you're going to have a baby. Yeah. Oh, and so many what? people, and that's another, th- you know, um, another range of stories I like to tell is people that don't end up with babies at the end of their journey, because that's another reality. A lot of people don't, mm-hmm. you know, Allie, something that I didn't realize. And I remember telling Michelle about it on our podcast that I didn't know about IVF and you just kind of hit it the nail on the head was that nothing can come from it. My first IVF round, I got eggs, but then they called me and I thought I was going to get pregnant. I thought they were going to put an embryo back in me and we we're going to, yeah. you know, start planning a Same. baby shower. <laughs> Cause totally. you totally, I was like, I have like 16 eggs, yes. I have an egg farm. Yeah. Oh my God. You're like, I'm going to have like a football team, yes. right? Oh, great. And some on ice, my first round, they called me and they're like, there was nothing viable. And I, couldn't I, uh, this overwhelm of emotion. Cause I was like, no one told me that Shocked. exactly. No exactly. one told me that that was a part of the possibility. Mm-hmm. How many rounds did you go through Two, three? three. Mm-hmm. That's right. You were the one that and, were like, it could take three. And they were like, we don't know why you can't get pregnant. Right. Everything on paper looks, you look childbearing egg reserve the whole nine yards. Yep. Yeah. How old are yeah, you? Yeah. I was 30 when I had that. That to me is kind of young. And yeah, they, it is I, young. And they told me when I did figure out what my issue was, is this is the, the interesting part about my story is, is I was going through infertility. My insurance said that I needed to have one of two, one of two procedures to move towards in the infertile pro, the infertility process. So I opened door number two and I did a histocelpingogram that checked my fallopian tubes. I did two rounds of, of IVF before I was like, I think I need another doctor to put some eyes on this, switched gears, found somebody else and said, Hey, have you hit a sonogram on your uterus? And they I asked went, you that? Yes. And I said, no, sir. Um, is this going to be another procedure where I need to bite on a stick and take a shot of whiskey beforehand? Right. And he was like, you have massive polyps that oh. are almost coming out of your cervix that are basically pre- treating you like you have like a protective barrier, like a birth control barrier. And no, and out. that guy didn't before the, they didn't see them or look. my insurance said, this is the test I need uh, to get to hear. And I didn't know what questions to ask or who to talk to, or if there was exactly. something that you could put in my uterus, you know, totally. There's so many factors that can affect I mean, fertility. I mean, thousands and thousands. And honestly, this is still a new, you know, um, sector, sector of the medical field, mm-hmm. you know, it's IVF is not that old. Um, you know, I, I talked to a doctor the other day, I was at an event with kind body cause fertility rally and kind body have a really cool partnership. And we were doing like an IRL event. And this doctor was saying she's been doing IVF since the nineties. And she's like, I feel like a grandma, like, you know, one, she's one of the OGs, but like, she's like, it has changed so much even in the past 30 years, yeah. you know? So it's, it's pretty, and you know, the doctors are amazing and wonderful for the most part, but they're still figuring things out too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like a crapshoot. It's like, yes. I don't know, take the steroid. And that's the one thing that makes the difference or acupuncture yes. or, you know, like this like kind of supplement it or is an experiment. It is it's an total science. I mean, literally science experiment. Mm-hmm. And is. sometimes you'll do the, a protocol for one round and then the same exact thing for the next round. And it doesn't work the second time, but it mm-hmm. did the first, you know, so it's just like, it's wild. It's wild. And that's why I think so many people have so many questions about this. And so many people are, people are going through it. It's because there's so many factors. It's really hard to have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. It's, it's like a miracle when it happens, it really yes. is. but the infertility community is strong. And I don't mean just oh individuals themselves, but the people that are going through it. If you, I remember my friend Kasha, I had to call her on FaceTime to for her and her husband to kind of demonstrate because it was over COVID. So we really couldn't get together, but how to, they were kind of like mock showing us how to give a shot so that Anthony yeah. could give it because totally. the other thing about infertility, you become the doctor you or that totally. you're now administer, administering tens of however many shots and you're just supposed oh to know God. how to do it. Yes. And, and they yes. give you like, you know, most places <laughs> will give you like a little 
you know, rundown, but it's like, then you get home and you're like, I don't remember. I shot this into an orange and right. like the, you know, like, how do I actually do this in my stomach or my ass or wherever I'm supposed to do yeah. it? I remember saying to my husband, they're trusting us to administer these meds. Like yes. we're pretty smart people, but like, there's gotta be some margin for error here. Like people, there's some dumbasses out there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, people this that is so accidentally overstimulate their ovaries yes, or you drop the but thing or possible. Well, and it's so expensive. The medicine oh is God. so expensive. And then God forbid you actually knock over a little vial. Right. You're losing yes. thousands of dollars. hundred percent. You guys, when I, for, when I did my one round, I had my box of meds. It was like $4,000 worth of meds oh. out of pocket. Nothing was covered by insurance for us. And they fucking deliver them to the wrong apartment in Brooklyn. Oh, and I was hyperventilating into a paper bag because I called the pharmacy and they're like, oh, they were delivered. You know, FedEx says they got there. And I was like, they're not here. And I was like going door to door, like trying to find them. It was trying so to find scary because I needed to med. start because it's all timed oh, too. So, you know, you need to start doing it. And some of them need to be refrigerated uh -huh. and all this stuff. So I was like, holy shit, this isn't going to happen. And then at the 11th hour, one of my neighbors from down the street was like, this box arrived for you. And I remember like jumping into his arms and he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, who are you? Settle down. Like that's my baby. I'm good. I'm good. But that's how nerve wracking the cell is and how, um, how high the stakes are, you know, yes. it's so the stakes are so high. You know, you bring up a good point. We we're just talking about insurance and how much money all this costs. I'm curious what have you learned in your journey as a podcaster and sharing stories of people's infertility journeys? What have you learned about women's healthcare? Oh, it's terrible for the most part. Here's the quote I was um, looking for. It's terrible. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, I think I found that the number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself. Um, you know, whether that be calling insurance companies, trying to get things covered, um, you know, sometimes things are coded in like a weird way where they're not going to be covered, but if you ask them to do mm. something differently, it can be covered. Another thing is if your employer, um, does not offer benefits, you can call, you know, we have letters on our website at fertilityrally.com that you can send to your human resources department mm -hmm. or your, you know, your company to, um, lobby for coverage. And we've had members that have done it and it's worked and they've gotten it for their whole company. So like, wow, you have to ask for these things and it sucks that you have to, and that it isn't just a given, but you know, there are ways that you can advocate and make it better for yourself. Another pro tip that I just learned, I mean, way after the fact for me, but pharmacy shopping, like when you get your list of meds, if you are going through IVF, you don't have to use the pharmacy that your clinic recommends. There's a lot of pharmacies out there and you can kind of call and shop around. And we had a fertility rally member the other day saying she did that. And one at one pharmacy, it was like $2,000 for a med. And at the other one, it was like $40. Like, it's just mm -hmm. like, it's so it's like the no wild idea. west. <laughs> like, it's like No idea. So speaking of the wild west, you just brought back a memory and I, this is probably highly illegal and no one, I mean, but nurses, I had a nurse call, be like, call a friend, see if your yeah. friend that just went through infertility has that vial sure. of something that starts with an M that you might need. And I can't Menopure you, or something. Yep, yeah. Menopure, thank you. How many women that I know have called me and on like, like you said, like trying to find their meds and be like, I need, you know, one more little vial. Does anyone have it? And we're like starting a text chain to see if anyone's got one vial for someone yeah. so they can go get their procedure done. Absolutely. Cause you know, there's people that have extra or they decide to pivot and walk away from treatment or, you know, whatever. And they call it, we call it IVF candy. Cause you can't really say like, or you just call it, you know, like candy. Does anybody have any candy? It's like, an, it's like a black um, yeah. drug. It's, it's like, like the dark web. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, it's like, do you got any candy? Um, Connell F. <laughs> what yeah right the what was that that's the one that you that's your trigger is that the trigger shot no I can't no, no. remember what that does specifically to be totally honest with you but I know it's part it was part of my protocol I I never want the suppository that leaks out oh, of the that's the pedal oh, was it, did you have blue leakage like a smurf no no, no I just had oh. <laughs> I was like this is not fun like this isn't cool at all I, yeah it's not uh, the progesterone right yeah yeah, so. yeah 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 there's well, nothing fun about it yeah the suppositories you can do shots fun too about but it. Um, <laughs> with some of the stories or all the stories that you've experienced and again, heard and shared, 
Yeah. What do you think most needs to change about women's health and reproductive care? I would love, I just had somebody on my show a couple of weeks ago, this um, amazing person, Corey Silverberg, who wrote a book um, called, you know, sex and Corey is, um, identifies as gender queer. So uses they pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrote this book and a couple of other books as well. This is their fourth book about sex education. It's for, it's for like teens, but it's for everybody. And I urge everybody listening to check it out because it talks about, you know, the basic stuff, of course, but it's very inclusive it talks about miscarriage mm-hmm. and how to talk to that about your kids. It talks about fertility. It talks about infertility a little bit, you know, it doesn't like drone on about those, but it covers it in a way that's like really accessible and kind of upbeat. It's not super scary. Like, and what Corey and I were talking about was how shitty our own sex educations were mm-hmm. um, and how there's so much fear based around like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. So easy to get pregnant. If you have pregnant without protection, you're going to get knocked up and then you're a tramp and hormones are terrible. And if you have your period, you're crabby. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it was just like, that was kind of what I feel like I grew up with as sex education. So again, then I found myself as this 30 mid 30 something person, not knowing anything about ovulation or egg quality. And how many times have you ovulated you, that you didn't write? We've all ovulated oh yeah. so what, much. Fuck knows. What was it? <laughs> did you, the first time I learned about my body and my reproductive system was when I couldn't get pregnant. And I picked up the book, getting to know your fertility. And sure. Yeah. I was like, wait, why didn't they pass this out in right. the classroom? Cause it was all right. about not getting pregnant. It was class. absolutely. And it's I get it. I mean, up. I, I do see from like a larger picture why they did that because it's just easier to not have to like delve into it. But I do feel like we got shipped and we got like a disservice by not knowing the truth that, you know, there's only a couple, a handful of days you can actually get pregnant. Not right. that it would have made people had sex more. It would have, I think it would have just made us more empowered to make better decisions absolutely. and, you know, not just if you've got terrible cramps, go on the pill. Cause that's a bandaid, but it actually, you might have endometriosis mm-hmm. and you need to have that looked at, looked at, and you need to prepare for the future. And, you know, like there's, it's all kind of a, the snowball effect. And, you know, so I guess I would say I've learned that most people I interview most have had a very lackluster sex education. And that's part of the reason they found themselves in this infertility community is because they didn't make decisions earlier in life or no more to kind of help prepare down the line. So I hope that with books like Corey's that I was just talking about and other people just talking about this stuff, you know, my daughter is 13. I hope that her generation feels empowered and knows more and won't find themselves being like, holy shit, you, you know, at 35, this happens. And, you know, like, I just want people to have, you know, the knowledge is power stuff. Well, I mean, it would have been cool to also know that cool fact that we're born with all of our eggs. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a really incredible thing to know about our bodies, but totally. and I don't understand where I think I learned that. That's I probably the one thing that I, learned. I don't, I, I learned that when I was going through my struggle of infertility. So I was what, 36, 37, mm-hmm. and then to not learn about the female reproductive system in its entirety and to understand what infertility is at a younger age and not in when you're like roadblocked and suddenly fall, find yourself in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mind blowing that we, as women with this anatomy, we aren't educated to the fullest extent for us to actually understand our, our body. Right. It's- and it would be great to, and maybe this will change. You know, I've talked to some clinics and other sex educators who are lobbying to include more stuff about miscarriage and include more stuff about infertility and what is IVF. So again, they're not finding themselves in the thick of it, thinking it's for Octomom, you know, like I did. Oh, Octomom, same, same. I know. Like this lady Bless wants her. Like 1 million babies and that's right. why she did IVF. But like, do we know, was she struggling to get pregnant or was that just, I know that was like a medical mishap as well, but what's I don't know. That's okay. I should, know. I should reach out to her and see if she'll be on the show. Cause I talk about her a lot. <laughs> you reference her a lot. I did see that her kids are like now like 14 or something. Like there was a picture of them all back to school. And I was like, wow. 
I don't know how she, I'm trying to get no. through one, just having one. Know, right? how, well, she had eight. Yeah. I don't know how she did it. Yeah. Two, I, I can't. Before we move on to your writing career, which I'm very excited to talk about. Can you tell us a little bit more about Fertility Rally? Oh, yes. Thank you for asking. So, yes, this is basically an, kind of an extension of the podcast. Um, my co-founder, Blair Nelson, who is also an infertility warrior, she, um, she and I, she was on my show early, early days. So like, I think she's on the eighth episode. She had reached out to me to tell me about her, you know, what her struggles. And she had started an Instagram account. It's called fab IVF mama. If anybody wants to follow her now. Um, and she and I just really hit it off and we started talking about the Instagram community. And if anybody is in the infertility world and on Instagram, you know, like the community is so incredible and, you know, everybody kind of has each other's back and helps each other out. And like you were saying, gives each other IVF candy if they need it and things like that. And so we decided that we wanted to form a community and, you know, I was on the other side of it at this point, but she was still in her journey. She hadn't had her first baby yet. And so we decided to um, throw an event and we started planning and we wanted to call it fertility rally, where we were going to bring together speakers and giveaways and just the community and celebrate everybody and make everybody feel inspired and empowered and supported and educated. And we started planning it for June, 2020. Oh, <laughs> and, started planning for things. <laughs> yeah. We had like the venue booked and, you know, the ball was rolling and it was going to be awesome. And then of course the world shut down. So we had to pivot to virtual, which actually ended up being kind of a blessing in disguise because it meant that we started having these weekly virtual calls with people in the community, kind of like a informal happy hour slash support group where everyone would just come on and talk about what they were going through. And then we turned it into an official membership community called Fertility Rally. So we launched in June of 2020 and we now have 400 members um, globally. And, um, you know, it's growing every month. Um, we offer four support groups a week. We, it's not just infertility anymore. It's now it's pregnancy after infertility is one of our support groups, because as you guys know, after loss, like pregnancy is really hard and there's only like the people that have been through it that understand that. So Mm -hmm. it's, we have that group and now we have motherhood after infertility, because I think we've had at this point, a hundred rally babies over the last two years. Um, cause we've had members come and go, you know, as they have their babies, they leave. And sometimes they come back for baby number two and some people pivot away from treatment. You know what I mean? So we mm-hmm. probably had like 1500 members over the last two years come through our doors, which has been incredible. So we send everybody a, a onesie when they have their babies that says my mama rallied for me. Oh, I love it. Um, and anyway, so it's, you know, it's just, it's become this group that, you know, every Wednesday night, Blair and I host our flagship support group and we probably have, you know, 50 to 60 people on the call. Um, but we have those other support groups I mentioned as well throughout the week. We have one on Sundays that a member of ours hosts as well. We're hoping to, I always say, I want to be the weight watchers of infertility, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of our model is like, I want to have hundreds of groups per week. Yep. You know, I want this to become something that no matter where you are, you can reach out and find this community and find support. Cause it's, you know, we, our trademark, our tagline, um, is worst club best members. Cause it's like, no one wants to fucking be here, but everybody that's here is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's fertility rally. We do IRL events. We do fertility rally live twice a year, which is, you know, the all day speakers and all that stuff. Um, it's just been, it, I never thought I would find myself in this world, but it's like, that's what I do now for my job. (laughs) And it's, I'm so passionate about it. It's, it's really like, I feel like proud of the work that we're doing and that all these other people in the community are doing as well. And I just feel like, all signs were kind of pointing in this direction. You know, it's like the journalism background and then fertility journey, like it all kind of led me to this point. So it feels good to do work that I really, really love. It's a shit ton of work and it's hard and it's still kind of our side hustle. So um, we're really busy, but work for people like us who've gone through infertility, who need these kind of support groups and whatnot. Yeah. The groups are, give me life. I mean, every Wednesday I get off the call and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I feel so lucky to like do what just happened. You know, like it's just, it's an, you know, it's different every week. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's different people going through different things and it's a roller coaster of emotions, but it's just, it's so needed. And I really needed. wish I had it when I was going through it. And now a word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm. 
Back in 2021, I had the opportunity to sit down with Aviva Brill, a life coach and the founder of Copilot for Wellness. Little did I know how badly I really needed this conversation. Navigating time management, work-life balance, and decreasing mental clutter were the main focuses of my continued journey to evolve and grow as a person and a businesswoman. Co-pilot and life coach Aviva Brill has a master's in clinical social work as well as a certification in holistic coaching, which makes her a really skilled listener, meticulous note taker, and an intuitive support system. Aviva literally is your co-pilot. Specifically, Aviva offered me tools to be a more effective communicator, especially when it came to having the more difficult conversations. Because of that, I feel empowered and confident, more now than ever before, both personally and professionally. When I decided to invest in myself with Aviva Skilled Coaching, each session felt like a hybrid therapy coaching experience. The conversations ebb and flow depending on the subject, leaving me with the endorphin rush of a therapy buzz, along with the action items as the goal is always focused on moving the needle forward. Does any of this resonate with you? If so, maybe you are in need of a co-pilot. For more about co-pilot and life coaching with Aviva Brill, head to copilotforwellness.com and reference the sister project at time of sign up for 10% off. And now back to our cozy conversation. If people want to just check out our support group and see if it's their jam, mm-hmm. you know, we can, you can do that too. Just feel free to DM me um, or, you know, send us an email at the fertility rally at Gmail and, you know, you can check it out and, you know, we're happy. Everybody's welcome, no matter what they're going through. We have same sex couples. We have single parents by choice. You know, we have LGBTQ community. Like it's, it's pretty awesome. Awesome. And we'll have everything in the show notes as well. Oh, um, thanks so we'll guys. Have access to it. All right. Let's transition a little bit and go from infertility to my next favorite subject writing. Okay. <laughs> um, you have had quite an accomplished career in writing. Oh. And when Michelle first told me about you, cause you're friends with our friend, Hillary Weber. Hi, Hillary Weber. Hi, I love Hillary Hillary Weber. Michelle, yes, that's how I we... later come and watch birds with me later. <laughs> Are you, Wait, you're hanging out with her later? They, no, no but they do, but they she do. She comes over sometimes and oh. we watch birds or sometimes I go to her house and we sit and watch birds. Give her the biggest squeeze from me. Ever. I love her so much. She is the best ever. Um, when Michelle first told me about you via Hillary, she told me about infertile, infertile AF, but also that you were um, a writer for Playboy at some time. So you were. That's true. Was that your, I know I read your whole bio and I know <laughs> all the way back. But that seemed to be a big chunk of your writing career. Was that play? Was that play? It was. Yeah, it was my first job out of college. Actually, good so I had written a letter to Hugh Hefner when I was a senior oh. in college, <laughs> looking for internships. Okay, but this is how old I am, <laughs> you guys. This is how old I am. It was a You're snail not old. mail. It was. It was a snail mail letter. Hey, good for you. I sent you it to him in the mail. mail. My roommate Michelle was like, "Allie, Hugh Hefner's assistant's on the phone for you." And I was like, "Because <laughs> it was I a landline. It also it was, was a landline. Exactly." Okay. This is a great story. Keep going. (laughs) So I had written a letter and just said, you know, I love actually Vince, my husband now, who was my boyfriend at the time, he had somebody in his house. He lived with a bunch of guys. They had playboy in the bathroom. And I remember like reading one time this interview, the playboy interview. And I was like, wow, these are really good interviews. Actually Mm -hmm. like this magazines, it sounds so cliche, but I was like, it's got really good articles. (laughs) So, um, I wrote a letter to, to Hef and I said, you know, I don't know if you have interns, but I'd love to work for you. I'm graduating, you know, in May and I live in Chicago and, you know, Playboy was based in Chicago at the time. Mm. And he fucking called me, which was so wild. And I went in for an interview with the editorial director in Chicago. Hef was in LA, so I didn't meet him yet. They hadn't had any new blood come through their doors in like 10 years. So I was like the youngest editor by 10 years or intern at that point. Um, anyway, I ended up working there for 10 years Stop. and it was awesome. It was definitely the best job I've ever had. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, you know, I was one of the music editors and I got to write about pop culture and celebrities and fashion and college and That's sex. And it was awesome. just, um, it was awesome. The people that all were, all the editors who worked there were brilliant and had like such high standards. And I learned so much. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I eventually started writing, like they're called like the party pages, like in the front of the magazine, which was like Hef and all his girlfriends and all the parties. And I used to write all those pages. So I ended up getting to go out to the mansion a bunch of times for the parties. And I did eventually meet Hef and 
Yeah. And just, you know, just for fun. So I would like take Vince with me as my date and like, we'd go to like the midsummer night's dream party. And, um, yeah, it was wild. Okay, wait, was... I'm going to ask you a question. Did you dress like the part? Did you do you dress yeah. like a playboy? Like, what do you, what do you wear? Yes. You it's it's a good question because I was concerned. So we go, okay. We go to the midsummer night's dream party one year. This is like the early two thousands. Okay. And the the dress code, you guys, is lingerie or less. Or so less. I'm or like, what the fuck do I wear? I work lingerie. Here. Like I don't. Well, I'm like I. You know, you want to like dress the part, like you said, but I don't want to be, be wearing like, like, a, like a slut. Like, <laughs> I know. Like a really sexy long sleeve. Well, like I the remember, out. no covered top to bottom. Anyway, but you guys will know this as Chicagoans. I went to Nordstrom. Okay. Did you some like <laughs> honey ruffled underwear? No, I got like some little. um you know, just like a black kind of like slip dress nightgown thing. And then I got a robe, like a silk robe over it. So it was like, it was, it was cute, but not too revealing. Like I was like, I don't know. Did you wear like Um, Birkenstocks with it? Because I feel like that's Midwestern. (laughs) I don't remember what shoes I wore. That's a good question. Probably like Steve Madden, something. (laughs) A chunky heel. Okay. 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 What else? (laughs) Um, But anyway, it's funny that you asked this question because Vince and I still tell the story sometimes. So we're like, the way that it worked is, so you go to the mansion and you can't park at the mansion. You have to park at UCLA and then you take a shuttle to the mansion because there's so many people and they don't mm-hmm. want everyone drive unless you're like Leonardo DiCaprio, you're not driving right. onto the mansion's grounds. So we're in line for the shuttle. And I remember like Vince was like, you're worried about like you looking like a slut. And we like, <laughs> look, and the girl in front of us literally had on zero clothing, but um, she had on pasties, like My just favorite. on her tits yeah. and like lucite heels and like mm. a thong. Mm. And then like the person behind us was wearing like paint, like painted, like she wasn't even wearing body clothes. Paint. She was just wearing body paint. And Vince was like, don't worry. Like, and he was like, don't <laughs> take this the wrong way, but no one's going to be talking about like how slutty you look. <laughs> no one at work is going to be talking trash about you on Monday morning after the Playboy meets and party. I remember he pulled my nightgown down. So I had like some more cleavage. She's like, yes. that is better. <laughs> yes. No question. I know that you probably, maybe you didn't. Did you watch the documentary that came out about, uh, it was the docuseries. I forget the name. You know what I'm, do you know what I'm I know talking? what you're talking about? And I have not watched it because I okay. heard it was really anti-half and anti-playboy. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't think I'm going to, because okay. I actually loved working with him and he was nothing but totally respectful and wonderful to me. Um, you know, the inside scoop is that some of these people were paid to like stay, talk shit. I don't, it just didn't seem like very legit to me. So okay. I didn't want to like taint, taint my experience, yep. but I will say I have been listening to the girls next door podcast with yeah. Holly and Bridget. Have you guys heard that? No, I've not it. heard it. I know of it. So they were two of his three girlfriends yeah, that wasn't filmed this Holly show called the girls next, the girl door. next door. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I know I that show. Well, it. yes. Yeah. That, that, that was, the, I was working there at the time. Like that Got was it. like the heart of when I was like working there. So I knew them and they would come to the New York office and like sign magazines and blah, 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 blah. Um, so they have a podcast now that's like a tell all and it's not very flattering. It actually is pretty negative, but since I was enmeshed in that particular time, it's interesting to me to hear that their perspective. So I have been listening to that, but yeah, I mean, I I've always maintained and, you know, I'm friends with Christy, his daughter, who was our CEO for many years and her, you know, he was, he was really always respectful and and wonderful and generous with, with me. And he used to call me at home and he would leave, I had an answering machine and he would leave me messages and he'd be like, hello, dear, it's half just calling to talk about the party oh pictures God, and, and like Vince and I would come home in Chicago and like play our answering machine. We'd be like, People. Half yeah. the phone. you covered a shit ton of celebrity. You've done a ton of profiles on celebrities. I should say I have. Yes, you have. And I, I love that you um, spotlighted. I love that you spotlighted Jeremy Sisto. He's like, one oh of my the, God, like low grade fa- faves. I just love him. In yes. all. I, and I would love to know what, what he was like as a person. But the real question is, is who was your favorite celebrity profile? Okay. So, okay. Jeremy Sisto. I'm trying to remember who I wrote about him for. Was it page six magazine? Um, I don't remember, but I remember, I don't have anything bad to say about him. So I'm sure he was lovely. And it was definitely 
it was, it must've been a phone interview. Cause I don't remember meeting him, but I'll have to look back on my notes and see. Okay. Can I ask you um, a no, real quick? When you talk to these people, like, are, are you like, Hey, Jeremy, roll in with my homie. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Or do you yes. do that? Or like to break the ice yes. or, okay. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> okay. Fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know. I, I actually really miss writing celebrity profiles. Cause I, I did do, like you said, like hundreds over the years and yeah. you know, magazines just kind of stopped freelancing them out, you know, mm-hmm. and there aren't that many magazines anymore, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and websites, it's just kind of not the same. So it was kind of like, I always look at that as like my golden period. Um, and it will never be like that again, but the top, my top three, cause people ask me this question a lot. My okay. favorite favorites are pink who I wrote a Cosmo cover story on. And she and I went, she and I went out for lunch and got drunk and smoked oh, cigarettes oh, and six. I ended six. up and ended up popping each other's zits like in the bathroom at the <laughs> end of the meal. Like, okay. <laughs> the funniest part was that there was paparazzi shots of us hugging and it I was like, them. and it was like pink's mystery woman. And it was me. <laughs> oh my God. You guys had like a pseudo paparazzi lesbian love affair that never yeah. existed. Totally. That's amazing. And I she was just too. fucking cool. I love the musicians because they're not, they're always just themselves. Like they're mm-hmm. not like selling a movie or they have to answer to the studio or, you know, so they're like less guarded is what I've found Mm -hmm. over the years. So I always love interviewing music people. Um, pink was awesome. I just love her in general. She's so fucking cool. cool And she's so inclusive and, you know, I love what she stands for and all that stuff. So she was awesome. My second favorite is Dave Grohl. Oh, I guess I'm not going to rank these. These are just the top okay, three. They're in in there. Okay. <laughs> he seems Dave Grohl cool. from Foo Fighters, who yep. is just fucking the nicest, coolest guy. And he would be. my favorite band. So like meeting him was just like a dream come true, but he was also just fucking so nice and funny. Oh. And so this was in person. I'd, I've interviewed him a handful of times, but the first time it was, they were playing the Metro in Chicago. So if ah. anybody knows the Metro, were oh, you yeah. in Chicago? Yes. Interviewing him for this. Oh yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yes. And so he's like, it was, I'll never forget. Cause I had been like pitching him and trying to get him and they kept saying no. And then they finally said yes. And then I'll never forget. He comes out and he's like, Allie from Playboy. He's like, Oh my God, I've been wanting to do an interview with Playboy for so long. And I was like, you have, I've been asking you for years. <laughs> and he's like, I just heard about it this morning. I never heard about it before. So like whoever was, mm, you know, his publicist or whoever, like just hadn't told him about it. Uh-huh. So I was like, Oh, fucking publicist. You got to like go straight to the source. Um, so anyway, he was cool. We went in the, the Foo Fighters van, like tour van tour bus oh behind the Metro. God. And we shared a beer, like we passed it back and forth. Oh, and then like, what? he took a sip, passed it to me. You remember the kind of beer it was? It was a Miller Lite. Oh, your favorite, oh. Michelle. Yes. And then they played the Metro, like Foo Fighters at the Metro. It's a small venue. Yeah. And I remember he was like, my friend from Playboy's here. And he like, didn't say my name, but he like shouted me out during the show. Oh, and we got to watch the sound check. That's um, cool. So they played like four songs with just me, Vince, and one of our friends that was with us. And we got to hear the Foo Fighters play like four songs in the what metro with no crowd. It was one of the best days of my life yeah, for sure. I bet. Life moment. I bet. Yes. And Taylor was there, RIP yeah. Taylor Hawkins. And he yes. was really nice. And yeah. I heard he was a nice yeah. guy. Dave is, he has a reputation of like nicest guy in rock and roll. Dave does. And it's true. He really is. And then the next time I talked to him, he's like, Allie, my best friend. Like he just like makes you, he doesn't remember me, I'm sure, but he just remembers. I have. Or he just, he's the kind of person that makes you feel really good in a room. Welcome. You know what I mean? One yeah, of those. I like that. That's pretty cool. Okay. Who else? Okay. So then the third one is Ricky Gervais. Really? And yes, this was a while ago, but the reason that I love him is because he was so like generous with his time. And like, I think he was about to host the Oscars or some mm-hmm. big show. And like, I knew he was doing a lot of press and he was busy and this was on the phone. But he kept, we kept getting disconnected and he kept calling me back and be like, it's Ricky. Sorry, we got disconnected. And I'm like, anybody else would have just been like, fuck it. Or I'm done with that interview, like on to the next. But he was just like, and obviously he's hilarious. So we just had a great conversation and he was just so, so nice. And I just remember hanging up from that call and being like, all right, he's like, he just went up to like notch one. Like he's, yeah. 
Well, so, it's like what he, he respected your job. That is your, you're, you're getting a job done. And he had to get that line to stay connected. And he, yeah, he get it done. Was that for Playboy? But, that was for a, a magazine called Giant that I used to work for. That was like a pop culture magazine that no longer exists, but it was fucking awesome at the time. Um, if you had a dream cover story, what would it be? Oh gosh. Or like a, a dream celebrity profile. Like right this very moment. Yeah, 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 Harry yeah, Styles. Yeah. Oh, obsessed. Obsessed. Okay. I saw his show him. five. I've seen him five times in concert. No. <laughs> Three within the last month. What? Um, my daughter got me into him because my, my daughter's 13. So she's like right in that Harry style sweet yeah. spot. But I started listening to his music and I'm like, and then I saw him interviewed on Howard Stern. He did this amazing cover of Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. And I was That's like, this guy's song. like a real musician. So mm-hmm. then I started listening to his music. I fucking love him. He's so, so talented. Have you guys seen him? Are you oh, going to wow. see it? He's coming to Chicago. When? When? Oh, soon. I love his presence. His presence. Just you guys think about him. Do me a favor and go, go to the show. I'm not kidding. you. It is so much fun. It is. Everybody feels good. Everybody's happy. He's so, again, I keep saying this word, but he's so inclusive. He's like, helps people come out. He like, you know, waves like the lesbian flag. Like he's just like, he wants people to be who they are. And I love his message. Um, and his music is fucking awesome. And it's literally like one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Oh God, That's I the reason can't. I've gone five times. I love that you I thought you're a Debbie. super fan, Allie. I'm, I know people are like, I'm like, I go on Instagram. And I'm like, call my friends. I'm like, just block me for the next couple of days. Cause it's going to be all hairy videos <laughs> from the show. <laughs> you mentioned Howard Stern. Do you like, I love Howard Stern. What do you I think? Love Howard Stern. I love him love so much. He's one of my adore. favorite people to li- Have you ever spoken to him? Never. No, but I love him. And I think he's the best. He's the the best interviewer. He is the best on the planet. So he's like goals. Um, as we wrap things up, we always like to know what our are. I know we can stay, we can keep talking. I'm like, is it over? (laughs) You don't have to be. I mean, I'm, I look at the clock. I see where we're Wait, One more thing about Harry Styles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, first of all, truly, if anyone hasn't heard Harry's house, Give Wait, it what's a that? What's is that his new album? Making it our warm up album. <laughs> you guys, it's just it's so good. Harry's house, and it's called Harry's house. And then okay. secondly, um, if he hears this, and <laughs> Harry, Harry, dear Harry, Harry, if you're Allie listening, has a message for you. We're yeah, cool. no, I just I, I just think he's cool, and like I love the message that he gives to everybody. Is just like have fun, be yourself, be who you want to be, dance you know, don't take yourself too seriously. And I just think that it's just a cool thing. So to be able to take my daughter to that yep. and like be as into it as she was, I think is a, is a very cool thing. Like I have hope for the next generation when there's role models like him. He's a good role model role model. And I love his choice of fashion. I do. I oh, like yeah. what he wears. Well, right? when Allie was saying, you know, like everybody just feels good. I mean, I, he doesn't even need to say anything, just his presence, mm-hmm. what he's wearing yep. puts me levels up my energy. And the interesting thing about what he wears is, you know, sometimes he wears more, if we want to categorize it like feminine looking clothing and people, you know, who are cool, have no fucking problem with it, but people that are right. lame make a stink about it. And then, you, right. you know, and then what I do love on my TikTok algorithm, they'll see like, they'll have like a person be like, when did men turn into this? And then they start flashing photos of like Patrick Swayze wearing a silk <laughs> dress, Brad Pitt wearing a, a dress and like all, you know, going back to the ancient times or whenever the Renaissance, when men were wearing dresses, it's like <laughs> over it. I don't right. know. I just love Harry though. Harry's yeah. a cutie. Allie, what are you reading, watching, listening to anything? Ooh. Good? Okay. <laughs> oh my God. You guys are going to think I'm psycho. Oh, cool. Tell I'll us. tell you what I'm honestly reading. Because it's a novel based on Harry Styles. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. And it's a, it's a sex, it's like a sex novel. That I love somebody, you. It's a, <laughs> Bless my friend Kristen oh. sent it to me and she's like, you're going to have to read this. It's like the 50 um, they're of making it a movie with Anne um, Hathaway, but it's okay. It's about a mom that takes her daughter to see this boy band. Okay. And then the, one of the boy band members and the mom start having an affair. The mom's like in her late thirties, ah. boy band members in his twenties. So What's it's, but it's it? like, it's like a 50 shades of gray, but it's like yeah. based on Harry Styles. And the kid's name is like, I can't remember. It's like Hayes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's like Larry. It's like Sari Lyles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good. Um, 
Wait, what's the name? But honestly, no. it's called, oh God, what is it called? Pieces of You, The Thought of You. The, okay. I think it's called The Thought of You, but it's um, it's the first novel that I've read in like six years. <laughs> oh, wow. You are hooked. Oh. Is it The Idea of You? Yes. That's oh, it. Okay. Wow. The Idea of You We're by sure Robin Lee. Well, this looks okay. sexy. sexy. Okay. We see this what you're reading. Okay. Wait, can I read this to you real quick? Listen, listen, listen. There is no escapism like reading about a nearly middle-aged woman embarking on a glittering global love affair with a thoughtful young sex Sex god. God. What's his name? Does it say? (laughs) I'm just dying that. I'm thinking of you reading about a young sex god right now. Yeah. Hold on. So Soline. Yeah, that's the mom. She's the woman. She meets um, Hayes Campbell. Yes. Hmm. I knew it was Hayes. This is um, yeah. Hey, they're making it a movie. Scary. Okay, and so is Anne playing the mom. She's the mama, apparently. I wow. love her. I love. Um, <laughs> almost ten thousand reviews. Um, are you listening <laughs> or watching anything when you're not reading about the sex god? Um, I'm watching Handmaid's Tale, which is back oh, on now, which I'm obsessed with. Still, right. started watching Gutsy, which is the show that Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton did, where they go around and interview yes. women and. I just started watching that on Apple TV and the first episode is all about female comedians and it's really good so far. So that's, that's what I got going on. Actually, really cool. when I was watching the Emmys recently, I wrote a list of TV shows to watch. Cause I was like, I need, you know, there's so many, there's so much content. It's hard to remember hard what to, to hone in on. Well, the mm-hmm. big winner that night was succession. Did you have oh, succession? Of course. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Before we wrap up, Mary shag or kill. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Mary shag or kill. Oh my God. Okay. okay so. <laughs> Kendall, Kendall Roy. Oh, so that's okay. the older brother. Well, that's one yeah. of your options. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, all right. Sorry. Go on. Okay. I mean, I love him. I love his character. Um, the brother-in-law that married the sister. Oh, such okay. a weenie. Okay. 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 Well, you get your options. Or I I don't know his name. I forget it, but Kieran McCall um oh. Kieran McCauley. Oh, Roman? Yeah, yeah Roman. Roman. So Tom okay. Roman oh, Shag. Kendall, Mary, well, Roman's not supposed to be good in the sack, though. I know. Oh, oh my god, when he said that dick pick. He's pretty yeah. <laughs> Okay. All hey, right. Go. I'm gonna all right. Um, all right, Mary Shagger Kill. Uh-huh. I would, I guess I'd marry Kendall just because money. Oh, no, I'm gonna oh, kill okay. Kendall. I'm gonna kill Kendall. You're gonna kill him. I'll off. marry Tom. You're and I then I'll, mm-hmm. I'll shag Roman. Maybe I can bring him out of his good, sexual shag. Okay, I would, I would marry Roman. Oh, oh, I think I would kill Kendall too, and I would shag Tom. Interesting. Okay, Tom annoys the fuck out of me, but he also makes me laugh. He really pissed me I know. off on the episode, but whatever. Oh my I God. I know. I didn't realize he's British. Yes. Yeah. But I think I would marry him, kill Kendall and shag Roman. Okay. And then Greg, I think is fair game. I think anyone can do whatever. They want. Oh, shag, <laughs> Greg, cousin, Greg. <laughs> shag, shag, shag. Well, Ellie. Um, oh my gosh. You know, I mean, I just so want to come over and have some beers with us. Yeah. And hundred percent. Next time I'm in town, or if you guys ever come out East, let me know. Hell, please, yeah, with Hillary. Okay, I'll be out east. Um, Hillary we, been, and I have talked about going to New York. To New York, <gasps> come yeah. visit. I'm going to ride your coattails. And Hell come yeah! With. Why don't we? Because we can. We I have, have a. That play. would be so much fun, you guys. Please do it. Awesome. Do my, what if I brought my 13 year old daughter? She's dying to go. You've got a 13 year old daughter. I have a 13 year old daughter. Although know. everything's really awkward right now for her, it's so awkward. she would be like, "Wait, what? Someone I've never the met." Before. No, it would be like, "No, actually, what the fuck am I talking about? I'm not bringing my kids. Yeah, this is a on. girls' trip." Yeah. Well, Ellie, you can stay you. with me anytime. Oh, thank you. Thanks, thank course. you so much. Thank you for your time. And yes. honestly, most importantly, thank you for giving infertility such a loud voice because we all know what it's of like. Of course. And- oh my God. We took like a hard right turn from infertility. Talking That's, about okay. That's okay. But hey, <laughs> That's why you guys are so good at your show. Like it covers so much, you know, it's all the bases. Oh, I love like- it. As cozy lifestyle bloggers, we have an affinity for good lighting. Oh, for crying out loud, Michelle, we were raised in the dark. We have an affinity for good lighting because we couldn't see growing up. This is true. Our mom liked it real dim. I think what you're trying to say is if you too have an affinity for great lighting or don't know much about it and can use some expertise, well, we have just the place for you. Horton's Home Lighting. Between Horton's premier lighting showroom and team of lighting specialists, your lighting woes will never go unanswered again. Every square inch of ceiling and walls are covered with twinkling light fixtures as well as ceiling fans of every style and design. The store alone is a destination worth visiting. Oh, but sister, Horton's is so much more than incredible lighting. 
Hortons also features a full ACE hardware with the most helpful and knowledgeable of employees, as well as indoor and outdoor seasonal decor, patio furniture, and so much more. Yeah, like items like the Solo Stove, Uni Pizza Ovens, Tabletop Heaters, everything your Midwestern heart desires. Hortons offers Chicagoland's largest in-stock selection of home lighting with locations in LaGrange and Orland Park. Visit any of their showrooms and you will see that Hortons isn't just another lighting store, it's a true destination. Yeah, you know, walking into Hortons is kind of like walking into home. For more information on Hortons, head to www.hortonshome.com. When shopping on hortonshome.com or while in-store, use our code SISTERS for $50 off of any purchase of $250 or more. That's SISTERS, S-I-S-T-E-R-S, for $50 off of any purchase of $250 or more. Thank you for joining us for today's cozy conversation. For more of The Sister Project, check us out on Instagram at The Sister Project and our website, www.thesisterprojectblog.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and maybe even drop us a review. Until next time, stay cozy. Stay cozy.